I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to this special comic-con edition of fangirl radio i am your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight as always are my lovely co-fangirl cohorts in crime rachel moore hello and amanda payton hello and tonight's episode is extra super special because we have a superhero extraordinaire joining us, uh, Mr. Peter David, who has written more than I can ever imagine writing in my entire life. Uh, the guy has worked on comic books. He's been a part of Star Trek. He's been a part of just about everything awesome that you can think of that has to do with the world of sci-fi and geekdom. And um, we are very honored to have him on tonight uh, to talk about his uh, upcoming project with Mr. Stan Lee on Stan Lee's uh, new YouTube network. So we will be talking with him about, uh, I believe it is called Head Cases, and uh, I can't wait to actually even see it. I mean, it's going to be amazing. It sounds like basically... Um, it's sort of a, a neutral ground uh, bar where the heroes go before and after and the in-between of their, their fights and battles. And uh, you, you know it's going to be good. So without further ado, though, we have to get in the Week in Geek because we've got a lot to talk about this week. And the first thing, of course, we have to talk about is of True Blood, which I have to um, – I'm curious to see what Amanda thinks. This season feels off. Oh, I think that's a complete understatement there. It's completely off. It's it's so off, I can't even find it on my Galaxy Star Mapper. It's so off. If they're going for comedy relief, it's great. Did you see the whole conversation between Jason, which Jason Stackhouse, in every episode I've noticed I've seen his ass. We don't see Eric's <laughs> ass. We see Jason Stackhouse's ass. But that's okay, because I like his butt, too. But anyway, oh, sorry. What, what was I talking about? Oh, we were talking about how True Blood seems to be just completely off kilter. Yeah. I was talking to my sister today about she's only watched half of the episode and she was demanding um, she hadn't seen the whole thing yet. By the time this airs, she will have. And if you haven't seen it by Thursday, then there's a problem. Um, she was like, they need to bring Russell back because, you know, this is just feeling weird. You know, if they're going to go for slapstick comedy, that's one thing, but that's not what the show's about. And I agree. It feels like they're going with this whole, uh, you know, trying to make up for the complete porn that was last season. 
uh, they are trying to make up for it by making it funny and lighthearted. And that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for some funny moments, mainly Eric being snide and, and uh, smartass while he's dis- evis- eviscerating someone. That's I, what I want to see. Yeah, I agree exactly. That whole conversation between Jason. Which one? Oh, uh, uh, Andy? Sure, yeah. That conversation between him and Andy about the fairy effers, um, <laughs> I was like cracking up. I was like, really? Are you guys really saying this in this dialogue right now? Well, you know, what, now, what I liked about it was they never, um, now I haven't gotten through all the books. I think I'm like two, two or th- I think two or three books behind in the series. I think it's more like two. But the, the fact that they're bringing up the death of Jason and, and um, Sookie's parents and how it happened. And um, in the books, they, they hinted that there was something not natural about it. But I think they put the blame on the fairies. Um, and, and, and listeners, please feel free to comment on our Facebook page or on the website, fangirlmag.com, and let me know if I'm wrong about this. But I got the impression that the fairies killed their parents in that flood and but now they're making it out to be the vampires did it but perhaps it's the fairies playing the vampires a, you know a, a bad hand on this and sending jason after them but um I, with that as said i i love russell i mean russell finally finally is sort of back um i don't know though this season they are already how many episodes in and i just i'm disinterested I could care. And God almighty, Hoyt and Tara. <laughs> With the <laughs> eyeliner. <laughs> the reason I'm watching it now is because they have some good funny stuff going on. Um, I'm tired of Sookie. I don't like her anymore. At all. I want her to uh, die. Sookie, Sookie can go die. I want to, like I said, they needed to do in the first place. See, the, the good parts of this season have just been... Eric and Pam, because she's, like, got twins in real life, so... Ooh, maybe she's going to have, like, a... They're going to spin off of a Twilight thing where she's going to have one wolf baby and one vampire baby, or... Oh, God. Don't give them ideas. Don't give them crawled up her leg while they were making out before she hurled on him, and she got impregnated with... Oh, and then we've got that... Oh, Uh, sorry. uh, No, no, I'm trying to stop you from giving them ideas. So... That's that's our take on True Blood right now. It needs to really amp it up. And typically what they'll end up doing is try to pull it out at the end. But uh, come on. This is why people are already talking about the end of the show. No one cares about it because they, they you know, you're, you're all over the board with your writing. So anyway, there's that bitch out of the way. Yeah, they need to <laughs> go back to their roots a little bit, I think. I think they do, too. I liked it when it was more like the books and, and, and it was just better that way and it's not like the books um so with that being said rachel yes we have happy news don't we oh my gosh i was awakened by my husband squeeing over this Did, and yeah, i joined I, I post- him very quickly I posted on Facebook. I, I I actually found um they they did the announcement that uh, we don't know if he's going to be playing Altair, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's it's Michael Fassbender is going to be the assassin in the Assassin's Creed movie. Let that sink in for a moment, won't you? <sighs> mm. 
pretty much makes me feel happy in places. Yes, it, it makes me tingle in places like the women bits are, are located. Um, I can only just see him with a hood and just those steely eyes peeking out while he flicks out his arm and a blade appears out of his wrist. <sighs> okay, so that was, that, that was part of, of the news of the week. Um, but I also wanted to talk about Comic-Con um, before we bring our guest on. Uh, Comic-Con will actually have already started as of the airing of this episode. This will be airing actually on the first official day of Comic-Con. And um, I wanted to talk about some of the stuff that's going to be going on there and what I hope to bring back to you guys um, next week uh, when the show airs. Uh, I've I've got a busy schedule and uh, I've tried in the past to kind of give the experience of the convention to uh, to my you know, my readers and the, the readers out there, the fangirls, fanboys that haven't gotten to go, there's uh, a couple of videos up on um, my YouTube page that uh, uh, I t- shot from the convention floor. And if you've never been in the middle of it, it's a little intimidating. It's very daunting and it's crazy. It's uh, 250,000 to 300,000 geeks basically converge on downtown San Diego at the convention center and they they don't leave that area it's like the nucleus is the convention center and uh it's just so big it's it's almost it's too big now for I think it's too big for San Diego but um at this this year uh they're they're getting a little bit more uh in p- past years they were doing a little bit less uh comic centric stuff and now i think thanks to like things like the avengers and um the popularity of all the marvel movies they've kind of went more back to the comic stuff but there's still things going on there that aren't comic book centric but are very genre friendly um things like uh sons of anarchy uh has got a big presence there breaking bad has a, a major presence there this year. Uh, I think even Justified has some stuff going on there. So basically, there's sections of the convention center portioned off for TV, for movies. Uh, there's a game area, and then there's an area just for like your normal comic book re- your comic book sellers and that kind of thing. And then the toy areas. Uh, Mattel has a big presence, and Hasbro does, and. Um, it's really, really amazing. When you walk in there, you kind of fall to your knees and worship at the altar of geek. Um, it's kind of like geek mecca. And uh, I've got some really great interviews, hopefully going to be uh, be able to share with you guys next week. Um, I just got confirmed for uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino for Django Unchained. So we're going to have Quentin Tarantino, Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz. Um, and then. Waltz. Yes. Rachel and her German boys, she loves them so. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then also Elysium, which is Neil Blomkamp's new film, uh, his follow-up to uh, District 9. Not a sequel. Not a sequel. That's very important. Yes. It is not District 10. And (laughs) even though it does have... um, my personal favorite, Charlto Copley, who is going to be there as well, um, along with Matt Damon and Jodie Foster, and Neil himself uh, will be there. And also uh, Looper, I got approved oh, 
for Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. So whatever I can bring from these um, interviews that I can play on the air for you guys, I will totally do. Um, I really want you guys to have a part in that, the people that can't go, because it's, it's so hard. It's very difficult to get in. They sell out the year previous, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Um, but it's it's a great event. And even if you can't get into the convention itself, just getting into San Diego around this time of year, it's just amazing to be in the middle of it um, and watching people. And there's so many off-site events that even if you can't get in, like Nerd HQ has basically a miniaturized version of Comic-Con. Uh, they're going to be having... Uh, speakers there that you can pay like $20 in the month charity uh, like Nathan Fillion, Guillermo del Toro is going to be doing one uh, Jensen not, not uh, Jared Padalecki from Supernatural is going to be doing one um, Joss Whedon is going to be doing a talk at Nerd HQ which is not affiliated or next it's next to but it's not a part of Comic Con uh, there's also going to be Trickster uh, that uh, uh, that are Buddy Steve Niles and his uh, indie comic guys are putting on, which is not part of Comic-Con, but next to it. And there's all kinds of parties. And you just walk around and you run into people. And there's people in costume. And if we're lucky, the Westboro Baptist Church will show back up and protest again. So it's it's, uh, just amazing how it just has become this massive deal. And um, it's, it's great. There's also going to be um, films being shown in, in areas. You can get in line for those. Uh, the Devil's Carnival is going to be playing there. And uh, they're going to have a couple of the cast members there along with Terrence. And I think Darren Lynn Boozman as well is going to be on hand. So it's, it's just going to be a great big... It's like the mecca of geekdom every year at San Diego in July. And uh, I will do my best to try and bring it back to you as much as I can. And uh, it's just great. And I've tried to get Rachel. I want Rachel to go with me one day. I, I'm too. I'm too phobic of crowds to do it. I just. I I, I don't know that I can do it. <laughs> I had a. I almost had a panic attack on a Saturday there. See, you're actually, not helping. <laughs> I actually, um, it wasn't Saturday even. It was. It's gotten so big now that um, preview night has turned into a Saturday crowd. Which well, is and I think that's part of my thing is I'm just not as into, uh, like, I'd be really interested in going and checking out the floor. I'd be interested in the actual comic and writer stuff. I'd be interested in some of the panels, but I'm not as big into the whole movie TV tie-in that has gotten to be the bread and butter of Comic-Con these days. And it's cool that those that, that that's happened to an extent, but I, I feel like... I'd rather go, if I was going to go to a Comic-Con, I'd go to the Emerald City Con or PAX or something where there was PAX more... PAX has got just as big. Yeah, pa- PAX is getting huge, but at least they're bi-coastal now. And so that's cut down some of the problem quite a bit. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I'm I, just not as interested in the movie and TV stuff because I feel like in, in our time... I mean, it's cool, but in our time, I feel like it's so much of it's available to us without going to a convention and having to breathe other people's air. But, you know, I'm a little bit of a hermit, so there's that. <laughs> well, it's... It, part of the thing, though, is the people. I mean, I've made good friends at these things, and it's funny how many people I ran into from where I live in Eugene 
in the middle of this crowd. I mean, it's just ridiculous if you think about it, the thousands of people that are there. But it's, you know, that's the, the thing that's really cool is, except for the eye stabbing incident, which happened in Hall H that one year, um, for the amount of people in, smushed into one area like this, uh, it's so not violent. There's nothing bad that you hear about happening. So it's, you know, it's a really awesome place for, for people, like-minded people to go to and really enjoy themselves and get to be themselves without fear of being um, ridiculed for what they like or how they dress. And, and that's what I like about it so much. And, you know, we basically, it it is, they take over the downtown area of of this whole area, the gas lab district and, and the convention center becomes this world of geekiness. And it's so awesome to be a part of it. And you'll never get to like a lot of people, don't ever get to cross paths with the people that are there. So, um, like these, the celebrities and, 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 uh, the producers and the directors and the artists and the writers. And, uh, speaking of writers, I think we have one joining us. Hello. Hello, sir. Is this Mr. Peter David? Yes, it is. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, let me introduce you first to my cohorts here. I have Amanda, who's our producer. Hey, Amanda. How's it going? And she might be on mute. Um, but And also with us is uh, Rachel Moore, my co- co-host. Hey, Good Rachel. Evening. How's things going with you? Oh, very well. How about yourself? Oh, doing okay. Doing okay. Oh, good. Well, thank you for calling in. Oh, glad to do it. I mean, you Made it a little bit challenging there with the, with the new phone number at the last minute. <laughs> we like well, we keeping people keep on our toes. toes. <laughs> I, I actually thought you were just trying to lose me. Um, no, oh. never. Oh, my gosh, no. We're not okay, being like well, that. We're not I'm glad like it all worked out. Yeah, um, well, and I want to thank you for uh, joining us tonight. I know this is a big week for you, and uh, I, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about what you've got going on with uh, Stan the Man Lee and this the YouTube channel. I, I absolutely love what I read about what you've created for it, and I oh, wanted well, to get... Oh, no problem. And I, I wanted to give you a chance to, get, to give us some details and talk to us about head cases. Well, absolutely. Actually, this... This little endeavor is sort of a prime example of how you should never give up on any property if you think that it's got potential. Head cases actually had its basis a few years ago when a cable net, when I was informed by David Usland, who's now the producer on the show, mm-hmm. that there was a, a cable network that was looking to do a superhero uh, sitcom. And... Uh, and he put me together, and, and he put me together with the people from the uh, from the from the channel, and I pitched several ideas to them, and they said, "What we're really looking for is something along the lines of the uh, superhero version of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." <laughs> and I said, "Oh well, I can do that." And then, of course, not having actually seen that program. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sat, you know, well, it's, with writers, it's the same thing as actors. You know, like, can you ride a horse? Absolutely. Then they get riding horse, you know, same thing. <laughs> so I went and I watched that program, and it turned out to be basically about a family running a bar. And I thought, well, superheroes in a bar, okay, I can do that. Um, that's, that's not a problem. So I developed the characters that, uh, you know, that populated it. 
and I wrote a spec script, and I did all this, and the guy there loved it, and they were busily developing a number of different pitches, and they whittled it down from 50 potential sitcoms to three, of which one was mine. So, you know, I made all that cut, and then they had a change in executives, and the new executive came in and said, now we're going to toss out everything that everyone else has done and start all over again. At which point I said, screw you guys, I'm going home. And, <laughs> and that was more or less that. And I took what I had worked on that up to that point, um, and uh, together with my wife, who had also worked, uh, Kathleen, who also worked on developing it, turned it into a short story, which appeared in a short story collection called Masked, for which I made, uh, you know, grocery money, and I called it a day. So now flash forward to a couple of months ago, and David calls me out of the blue and says, hey, I was meeting with the folks at Vugaroo, who's a content provider for the Internet, and they're developing a thing with Stan Lee that's going to be a Stan Lee channel, to which I replied, they have channels on YouTube. <laughs> I, I didn't know. Apparently everybody else knew this. I did not know this. Um, and he said, oh, I'm pitching them space cases. And I, uh, uh, head cases, I'm sorry. Space cases was an earlier series I did with Bill Moomy. I ran on Nickelodeon. Apparently I can only sell shows that have the word cases in it. <laughs> um, I knew? actually have seen that, too, and it was great. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> so uh, he says he's pitching it to them, and I went, okay, and didn't think anything more about it because I've learned that when it comes to these kinds of things, the best thing that you can do is put it out of your mind as quickly as possible and wait to see if something actually develops. And something actually developed. And the next thing I knew, uh, Head Cases was being fast-tracked to uh, to be announced at the San Diego Comic-Con, and I'm going to be on a panel with Stan, you know, who I've known for years. He's a fantastic guy. And Mark Hamill and, and a lot of other great folks. And that's going to be... Uh, this this weekend at uh, San Diego Comic Con, so I think it's what it's a uh, I think it's at eleven forty five on Saturday if I'm remembering correctly. I believe that's right. I think that right. is right. Oh, okay. And uh, so I invite everybody to you know, show up and uh, hear hear all about it. Yeah, it's eleven forty five on Thursday. Oh, Thursday. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for the correction because it would have sucked to be in the wrong place for a long time. Um, well, actually, it's also up on my website. So, you see, I'm, I'm like Indiana Jones's father. I write it down <laughs> so I don't have to remember. There you go. And that means you're awesome because you're also Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, because I what? Because you're Sean Connery, too. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I have met so many actors. I've met so many people. And, uh, and, and I've taken all of them in stride. And the one person that I would be totally intimidated to meet would be Sean Connery. Because <laughs> I would feel, I mean, first off, he's James Bond, with all deference to Daniel Craig. I mean, he's James Bond. And also, I would be really afraid that he would give me that look that he gives Indiana Jones and the Zeppelin when he says, What do you want to talk about? <laughs> you know, where the eyes just are kind of drilling through the back of his head. I would just be <laughs> really, you know, so I, I think I would be totally tongue tied to meet Sean Connery. Anybody else I can take in stride, but not him. <laughs> Well, and and I wanted to ask you, because um, you've written, uh, you know, and, and I, I want to give due to, to your project, but God, Peter, you've written so much amazing stuff that I've read and, and absolutely enjoyed. I mean, basically, you've touched upon everything I like. Absolutely. Well, thank you. 
at one point well, or another. It's not like, you know, I read Mzadi every three months or anything, so. <laughs> I got to tell hard. you, um, <laughs> I, I got to tell you this. Years ago, my daughter wanted me to, wanted me to, she wanted to go to a concert. It was, uh, oh, God, a, a Tori, Tori Amos, it was a Tori Amos concert that was being held out in, uh, out in, uh, in Nassau County. And she had no ride to get out there. And I was interested because she was big on Tori Amos. So I was interested in seeing it too because what I'd heard of, of, of Tori Amos' song sounded, you know, very good. So I wanted to go see the concert too. I said, I will take you. And she uh, made it clear that she had no trouble with taking me as long as I pretended not to know her. <laughs> she was a teenager at the time. So, of course, the, word, the most mortifying thing. Uh, would be to be there in company of your father, so uh, I had to make sure that no one could possibly think that I was anything other than some random guy who happened to be sitting next to her. Um, so we had parked the car, and we're walking through the parking lot, and she's you know ahead of me, and I'm following behind her about 10 feet, like you know a good you know Arab wife. And... Um, <laughs> And she runs into some friends, and uh, and the girls jump up and down, and they go, Shana, oh, my God! And they go run, and they do the whole teenage girl-hugging, up-and-down-jumping thing. And now I'm a little stymied, because I've got both tickets. I realize I've made a mistake. I didn't give her hers. So I can't go anywhere. So there are these teenage girls, and I have to actually just kind of stand there and not look like a creepy middle-aged guy looking around teenage girls. And... The girls say, you know, to Shayna, how did you get here? Because they knew she didn't have a license or anything. And she kind of busted, has to say, my father brought me. And they look and they go, your father's here? And she said, yeah. And they went, Peter David is here? <laughs> yes. And she goes, yes, he's over there. And I'm standing there trying to look at the scenery or anything else. <laughs> And the girls scream, oh, my God, it's Peter David. And they go running toward me. And I stand there completely paralyzed because I'm going, what the hell? And these girls jump on me like I'm a rock star. And I'm completely stunned. And the girls are jumping up and down yelling, Imzadi, Imzadi, chapter 24. Uh, which apparently is the scene in which Riker and Troy have sex for the first time. Little and little did I know that my book served as you know sexual awakening for teenage girls. I mean, it literally never occurred to me. And Shana is standing there; all the blood has drained out of every part of her body and is now somewhere down in her shoes. You know, because she looks like a ghost. And I'm trying to peel these girls off me. <laughs> you know, a part of me is thinking, where the hell were you when I was in high school? Um, but I'm trying to peel these girls off me, and I'm going, okay, girls, I'm, I'm old enough to be your father. <laughs> literally. And the girls are jumping up down and screaming, you're so much cooler than our father. It's naughty, chapter 24. <laughs> so... <laughs> it is. It is uh, w one of the most prized moments of my recollection in terms of seeing one of my daughters look like they had just been hit in the face with a two by four. <laughs> it's it's one of my two favorite times. Uh, but this this one was really up there. 
Oh my god, that's awesome. It's funny. <laughs> so if if I see you at, at Comic Con, can I yell that across the room and and can I do well, that? I'm a, I'm a firm I'm a firm believer in the First Amendment. So can you? Yes, I'd rather you didn't. I mean, you see, I would be. I am the world's lousiest dirty old man. You know, because all I felt was unbelievably uncomfortable that these nubile girls were jumping up and down on me. Um, you know, there was, there, was, um, there was a time when I was on the set of Spider-Man when they, were, when they were filming in New York, and I happened to run into... Oh, my God, I'm, I'm blanking on her name. On Mary Jane, on Kirsten Dunst. Oh, Kirsten Dunst. And... I'm tr- and I chatted with her for a while. I didn't mean to, but she struck up a conversation with me. And what am I going to do? You know, blow her off? It's, it's Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> Very sweet girl. And I told I told people about the fact that, you know, I wound up chatting with Kirsten Dunst. And these guys are saying to me, oh, my God, she's so hot. She's so hot. And the entire time I was chatting with her, all I could think of was... What a sweet girl. She'd be a great friend for my eldest daughter. <laughs> that's that's all I that's all I could think. I get I get very paternal. And that's 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 pretty much I just, I just get very very paternal about about uh about about these young girls. Um I saw Jewel State who who we hired to do space cases. Um oh, sweet. Yeah, we we hired her to play an engineering genius on a spaceship. We managed to rip off Joss Whedon ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and she's on this new show called L.A. Complex, and they had scenes with her in a bikini, and all I could do was kind of like feel very embarrassed and look away from the screen, going, "No, no, tell me, tell me when Jules, you know, when Jules' scene is done, and she's not in the bikini anymore." It's just, I, it's it's outside of my comfort level. Aww, that's sweet. Well, I I wanted to ask you something. I've always wanted to ask. Uh, you've done quite a few. Um, we're moving away from nubile girls. I'll, I'll let you fine. feel comfortable again. <laughs> um, the, you've written quite a few few movie novelizations. Yes. How is it to 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 work on something like that where you're actually uh, you're you're taking a script that that I, I think most of these you didn't write the script or have any part of the script and no. turn it into a movie into a book from that. Mm-hmm. How how is the process of that? Well, I mean. To a certain degree, I have to be the—I have to become the actor for every single role. You know, because when you go see a movie, this actor plays this role, this actor plays that role, and all of the actors uh, play the characters in their individual way, and they come up with their character subtext and what they're thinking and all that kind of thing. I essentially have to create the roles in my own head and play them in in the novel. So I will say that a character says things in a certain way and there's certain thought processes going through his head. And you know, the reason I do that is to really flesh out the characters. And the thing is, I never have any idea what the actor is going to be doing or how the actor is going to be saying it because I've not seen the, the finished film. Right. Um... So it's always a bit of a challenge to come up with you know all these all these different thought processes and develop the characters, and that's one of the you know the big things that I that I have to do uh, really flesh things out 
um, because none of that's going to be in the script. The scripts right. tend to go light on telling actors how to do things because actors don't like to be told how to do things in the script. They like to come up with their own interpretations, work with the director, develop their own takes on the characters. I don't have that luxury. I don't have the director telling me, well, how should we, you know, this is how you should play it. I have to just make all these decisions. The other thing that I need to do is have the story make sense. Movies are told in a sort of visual shorthand, you know, and you don't even think about it because when you're presented with it on the screen, you go, oh, my God. For instance, when I did the novelization of Spider-Man 2, there's a sequence in Spider-Man 2 where Peter Parker and Mary Jane are eating at a cafe, and all of a sudden, the top of the building explodes, and oh my God, it's Dr. Octopus. And you sit there and you watch it in the movie theater, and you go, oh my God, it's Dr. Octopus. You're sitting there and reading it in a novelization, and it's, do you have any idea how big New York City is? How in God's name did... Dr. Octopus know what Peter Parker and Mary Jane were having cafe. Was he following Peter Parker? Why didn't Peter Parker's spider sense warn him? Is he following Peter Parker? Why did nobody notice that a guy with a big raincoat and four mechanical arms was following this guy? And say, holy crap, it's Dr. Octopus. You know, so things happen in movies for the convenience of the viewer, and nobody ever thinks about what brought things to these particular moments. So one of the things I try to do in a novelization is fill in the gaps in the storytelling, just expand beyond what's there to explain how these things that you guys would take in stride when seeing the film and give it no thought actually came to this particular place at this particular time. Um, and that alone can take up a lot of space. I mean, keep in mind that, that the average screenplay is about 120 to 130 pages at the outside. Even Titanic was only about 180, which is kind of remarkable. Um, and what you think, you can't just write he said, she said, and call it a day, because then you're going to turn in a 120-page manuscript, and that's going to be a problem, you know? So you're always trying to, to fill out the backgrounds of the characters and fill in the holes in the plot. Considering how likely the characters are written and considering how many holes there are in the average plot, that alone, if you do it right, can fill in the, the, the word count difference. Well, and I've noticed that in some instances, the novelization is better than the movie. Because well, thank it, you. Well, and, and no, it's true. It's, and and it's, your, in your works, uh, that's tr- uh, the true case, but there's also other films. One, and I'm going to throw the name out here just because I felt it was so much better than the movie, was w- The Wolfman. The Wolfman was a great, it was a good film. But okay, the book, I, I didn't see the movie or read the book, so I'll take your word for it. Yeah, well, the book actually gave you what they kind of edited out for time or content or whatever reason. Uh, that's actually, more often than not, that's not the case. I mean, yes, there, is, there are plenty of times where material that was in the screenplay got edited out. Indeed, there have been times where I've written stuff that I knew was going to be edited out just because I've been doing it long enough. But very, very often... Writers will come up with all kinds of information and backstory that they've developed in order to flesh out the world in which the, the movie is taking place. So very often there's going to be scenes in there 
that people will come away from and say, oh, I love this scene in the book. I wonder why it wasn't in the movie. Well, there was a reason. That was it was never in the script. <laughs> so you, you really never know. I mean, sometimes there are. I mean, there was, there was an entire sequence in, uh, in Spider-Man, in the first Spider-Man movie, that I sat there and I read that and I went, oh, there's no way this makes it into the film. It's going to be on the cutting room floor. I wanted to leave it out of the book because it was absolutely pointless. I said, this won't be in the movie. They said, it has to be in the book. I went, okay, it's in the book, wasn't in the movie. Big shock. Um, the, probably the, one of the biggest examples I saw of that was when I did the novelization of the second Hulk movie. And Ed Norton's name was on there as co-writer. And... When I wrote the novelization, I was able to find every single scene that Ed Norton had written. <laughs> and nice. the reason that I knew these were all Ed Norton scenes was because they were very actory scenes. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that it had two characters sitting around discussing their feelings for three pages. And I, and I kept them all in the book because I thought they were really good scenes. But I was utterly convinced that all of them were going to wind up on the cutting room floor. And, and they I did. Was, absolutely. And, and the fact I, that I knew that they were all Ed Norton was because Ed Norton's name was not on the finished screenplay. Why? They cut all his scenes. Um, oh, well, so, and I, know, it, I think you, yours included the suicide attempt, didn't it? Yes, that was in the screenplay. Yeah. That was in the screenplay. The suicide attempt was there. Um, to which they actually alluded in the Avengers. I know that's. I love that little nod. I, I noticed that, and I, I whispered that to my husband when we saw it. Which was mm-hmm. that's that's the scene they cut. You know what was funny yep. about that though, Peter? They left that in the video game. Oh, really? The video the game video starts. Game? Yeah, the, yeah, in the video game to the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, they left the suicide attempt. They actually animated it and everything in the video game. <laughs> Of all things, I was actually bummed that was taken out because, I and I could be completely wrong, but I felt that that was partly inspired by something that I wrote. Because in my in the very last issue of the Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. I depicted uh, in my first run, I actually depicted him attempting to commit suicide mm-hmm. and being stopped by the actions of the Hulk. Um, I and and uh, I even and I did that again in another thing of mine, another Hulk story of mine called The Last Titan, mm-hmm. um, right. in which in which he again attempts to commit suicide and the Hulk intervenes. So when I saw that in the script, I went, "Oh, good, that's 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 one of that's one of my notions." And then it got cut. Oh well. Well, yeah, they included it on the Blu-ray. The, the Blu-ray yeah. actually has it, but I thought it was just amusing that the thing that kids would be more apt to see. In the yeah. video game, you have a suicide attempt the first day. <laughs> the the original the original screenplay of the Hulk was far more br- of of the Ed Norton Hulk was far more brutal than what they had on screen. Oh, and I would have um, and, and those those were sequences that I had to act- I had to go back and rewrite and tone down at the specific request of Marvel Comics. Uh, for instance, the scene in the factory where the Hulk battles the, the soldiers, the Hulk was killing them right and left and did not give a crap. Av- oh, there, yeah. there was one scene where he throws a tanker, like a, a gigantic tanker or oil drum at them, and you see it roll right over the guy and just have it tur- reduce him to a red splotch. Uh-huh. All of that was gone. Marvel, from my perception, and I, you know, this is not like I, I'm privy to some sort of studio mandate, Marvel, as near as I can tell, 
works to keep its movies more family friendly. Um, right. and, I, and, and I have to say, despite this is not just the fact that I work for Marvel. I, as a parent, appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I could not. I have not shown my nine-year-old um, the second Batman movie because I don't think she can take the Joker. Uh, He's pretty. A, a friend pretty of mine, a, a friend of mine, who's a long time a comic book uh, creator and a longtime Superman fan, was incensed about Superman Returns because he felt he couldn't take his kids to see it. Uh, he, he felt that the sequence where Superman gets beaten up by Lex Luthor and then stabbed with the green kryptonite right. was too violent, and he didn't want to have to start explaining Superman's bastard child to his kids. Right. Yeah. You know, so Marvel stuff burning. is tends to be more more all ages, and uh, you know, it's obviously a deliberate choice as near as I can determine, and, and I think it's a good one. And there's something to be said for that in a time where, I mean, it's hard to find family programming that everyone enjoys. Yeah, and I absolutely. think that they've done a really good job of, of that, and that was really shown when you went to see, the, for instance, the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you look around you, and for once, it wasn't just a bunch of 20-something gamer right. guys, you know. Yeah. You had kids, and you had grandmas there, and my parents went to see it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was neat. Good. So I, I have to all qu- stay through the end for with with all the Avengers sitting there eating shawarma. Oh, oh, that was brilliant. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> all that, all that from an ad lib from Tony Stark. Yeah. By the way, I've actually tried shawarma. It's really good. <laughs> I've I heard, never about heard of it, it before been... before Avengers, but but now I'm a shawarma fan. I need to find a place around here that does. I it. love shawarma. There's a place. There's actually a place uh, in San Diego. It's only a few blocks away from the um, from the convention center. I would just love to. Ca- I would just love to get a group of, of Marvel Comics creators to just sit around at the end of the convention, just oh. sitting there eating shawarma at the end of the exhausting. San Diego. Oh my god, that would just, be just awesome! Just film that and put it up on YouTube. <laughs> Rachel, I think you have a question. Oh, I just. I was just curious because. Um, Fan fiction is such a thing now. It's such a... Oh, a now? Well, now? I mean, it always has been, but Amen. I mean, there's been I more... Started, um, I started my writing career doing fan fiction. I wrote, and that's I, what I, I wanted had, to, that's I what I wanted my to own, ask about. I have my own Star Trek fanzine. People, uh, people put it down so much now, but there are so many great stories down, coming but, from... But, people who did not originate the characters and so right. i just wanted your your experience with that and to kind of encourage uh, some on, of on writing fanfic with characters that were not my own like the star trek characters sure well my experience was was that it was a good means of learning how to write um it was a good experience in terms of Putting my my fiction out there and getting feedback because you know from essentially what is a typical audience, and by typical audience I mean total strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's great to to write these things and and show them to your parents, you know that kind of thing. But their attitude is going to be, "Oh, Peter, this is wonderful," <laughs> you know, because that's, yeah. what, that's what parents do. do. Uh, writing the stuff and putting it out there in front of uh, strangers so you can get honest opinions um, is is something that only writing fanzines really gives you the the ability to uh, to do 
and um, so you know when I when I published those uh, those uh, fanzine stories, it was uh, you know it was it was a nice opportunity to get some input, and I, and I did and I did some really demented stuff. I did um, a Star Trek meets Mash crossover in which Sulu had been was doing a time travel thing, and Sulu wound up uh, in Korea doing kind of like a time survey or that kind of thing, and he winds up being ca- and he winds up being drafted into the army, and and uh, <laughs> he gets injured, and he winds up in the Mash unit, and and Kirk and McCoy have to go down to the down there to get him. Um, my, my my favorite crossover was probably Quantum Beast, in which I had uh, Sam Beckett of Quantum Leap leap into the body of Vincent from Beauty of the Beast and basically change time so that the entire third season of Beauty of the Beast didn't happen. And we all thank you for it. I just I wiped it out. Just wiped it out. He changes things so that Catherine doesn't die, and the whole absolutely terrible third season of Beauty of the Beast never occurred. It didn't. There was no third season of yeah, we, we refused yes, to acknowledge it. <laughs> oh, it was it was just it was just um, it, you know that was a lot of fun, and it was it was a good uh, it was a good learning experience. You know, it was just it was it was a really good learning experience. On the other hand, I should you know you know I should all make very clear that I was always prepared for the possibility that someday I might get a cease and desist from Paramount. Which did happen with some other fanzines at the time. Um, if Paramount noticed you, if you got on their radar, I mean, at the time they were very tolerant, but then they started cracking down. And I was always prepared for the possibility that um, I would get a, a legal letter from Paramount that would say, shut it down. And if that happened, then I would shut it down. And that would be that because they own the characters, and if they find me, and if they notice, and they say, knock it the hell off then you knock it the hell off because that's the way that goes. Right. You know, you got you got to respect the uh you got to respect the wishes of the copyright owner. Um my attitude, you know, I could never write to them and ask permission, so this really kind of fell into the category of it's better to ask forgiveness than ask permission. Right. <laughs> um but yeah, it was it was it was a great ex- it was a great experience and uh and I, and I wrote my own version of a Mary Sue story, except of course I except of course I was the protagonist. So it was a male version of a Mary Sue, and I got involved with Uhura because you know why not? <laughs> you know I was, awesome. I was I was a teenage boy with hormones, and it was Uhura. And the fu- <laughs> the funny thing was, years and years and years later, I'm at I'm attending George Takei's wedding with my wife. And Nichelle had injured her, had, had in the course of things, injured her ankle. And she recognized me because she'd met me the week before at a convention called Dragon Con. So, because she's injured her ankle, she asks if she can lean on me. So, oh, she drapes no. her arm around me, and I've got my arm around her, and I'm supporting her as we're working the crowd. And I'm thinking... I've got Lieutenant Uhura on my hip. <laughs> Suck it, fanboys. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care that she's in her 70s. It's I've got Lieutenant Uhura on my hip. And somewhere deep within me, the, the 16 or 17 or 18-year-old that I was who was writing fanboy stories about me being involved with Lieutenant Uhura was just rejoicing beyond belief. <laughs> 
Oh God, I, you have no idea how much I respect that. <laughs> in, 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 in what respect do you respect it? Oh, I, I respect it that you, you know, you li- I am all about living out the fangirl or fanboy dream and, and you right. got to, I mean, and yes. I also, I, I'm also a big proponent of fans, even if it is using work that has been done by a previous, you know, like someone else has created it, it's still getting your creative juices flowing and, yeah. and making something of your, you know, it's still your own, even if it's something that has already came from something previously. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're respectful with it and yeah. you create it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's helping you become a better writer or a better artist, whatever it is yeah. you're doing. Mm-hmm. And also I think it's just awesome that you got to, you know, hug Latuna or her at all time. <laughs> That's just awesome too. But, but, oh, yeah. But truly, you know, fan fiction, I write it, I, Rachel writes it, and um, it's, it's one of those things where uh, when there was this thing called Women in Horror Month that, that happens every February. Women in what? Women in Horror Month. Um, oh, so women, women in Horror Month, got it. Okay. Yes, yes. And my statement to, uh, to that was make something. You know, even if you're not a writer or a producer or a director, just let it be known that there are women who aren't just, you know, actresses or scream queens because that's what's so focused on in in the genre. And women in horror, women in horror month, I would have actually thought to be a a description of any month of when I was, you know, that years ago when I was dating. No, uh, but it's it's a it's a really important thing I think because that that genre specifically sci-fi and fantasy it, women have a more predominant role in in terms of being writers and and, and whereas, creators. In horror, whereas in horror women is generally exist to be the victims and that's about it exactly and that's why my big statement was make something if you're you know even if you're not you know if you're if you're a writer write something it doesn't have to be uh profound in any way but make something of your own if you're if you're an artist to draw something or create and um that's that's why what you just said means a lot to me about fan fiction because that's an outlet a lot of people can use and have more access to than any other but I think he hit the nail on the head where when he said, you know, it's one thing to write fan fiction. It's one thing to show it to people who like you. But to put it out there, I mean, I, right. anybody who, who, who puts any of their art and love out in front of everybody else to point at it, pick at, which is what geeks are particularly good at. Right. Um, you know, I, I have a lot it's of respect brave. for that. And I think it's, it's especially in the culture we live in now where there's so much input from everybody, you mm-hmm. know, with social networking and everything. Everybody's got stuff to say. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's something that there's been a lot of scrutiny about fan fiction and things lately. And I, I just kind of want to put it out there to to aspiring writers and filmmakers and people to, you know, keep doing it and keep making it and take your criticism and listen and work hard because I think the fan fiction is a perfectly good learning tool. I right. don't think that it's something you should aspire to. Right. On the other hand, who am I to say? Because I don't, I, you know, what else is my Star Trek work but fan fiction on a professional level? I mean, I, I write this big sweeping romance about 
Riker and Troy. I'm sure that there's a bazillion people out there who wrote big sweeping romances of, of Riker and Troy. And for all I know, some of it's better than anything that I came up with. But nevertheless, I did it, and I got paid for it, and it was called Imzani. Um, so really, I, I, you know, writing Star Trek fanzines, little to my little to my knowledge, little did I suspect, they would actually turn out to be something that would be a kind of semi-lucrative endeavor. I mean, who knew? <laughs> right? Well, you never when, know when who's I would, reading. When I, would, I mean, I, when I would write speculative ideas for what I'd like to do in comic books, who knew? <laughs> you know, so I mean, the thing is that nowadays when people talk about wanting to write Star Trek fiction, I always urge them to write something completely original. Mm-hmm. Because... If you write Star Trek fiction, you don't own it. It's somebody. It's whatever you do. It's something that somebody else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you write stuff creating your own characters, you own that. You can do yep. whatever you want with it. So I, I always feel that it's. Uh, I mean, it's a good learning tool, and it's comfortable because you're familiar with the characters. You're familiar with the universe, so it enables you to get your feet wet in terms of storytelling. It just shouldn't be an end to itself. It should be, to my mind, nothing more than a, a, a step toward being able to create your own characters and your own universes. Um, because I think that that's, that is where a lot of people can get their greatest sense of writing fulfillment. Um, but well, as, a learning, as a learning tool, sure. What the hell? Why not? Well, Absolutely. I... I... I think it's a good way to get the juices flowing too. Yeah, keep you sharp and and, and oh yes, absolutely. And and Peter, I hate to say this, but mm-hmm. I'm being told we've got less than a minute left, and I'm enjoying okay. talking to you a lot. You're That's you're great. great. You guys are great. And and we'd love to have you back because I would love to pick your brain some more on on writing and creating and and all the stuff that you've done. I mean, you're truly a legend. Um, if I, if I was like I would be down, I'd go great when. <laughs> I just I just recently saw uh, J- Jim Parsons on Broadway in Harvard. Uh, he was terrific. Oh. So if you're li- if you're living in the New York area, or even if you're not, you should come to Broadway and see Jim Parsons as Harvey. He does a terrific job. Oh, I bet he does. That would be great. But well, um, I, Peter, I wanted to give you one more, uh, uh, at least uh, thirty seconds or a minute here. I, I took up so much time just listening to you to give okay. such great you know answers. Um, okay. What what do you have upcoming other than um, your appearance at Comic Con and and mm-hmm. uh, the head cases? Um, I'm extensively involved with a new film called After Earth that is going to be coming out uh, in June of 2013. Uh, going to star Will Smith and um, oh. and his son Jaden. And uh, I'm going to be doing a, a, basically I'm going to be writing a prequel novel for it, along with Bob Greenberger and Mike Friedman. And we've also done a great deal of work to fill out the universe. Uh, we were we were brought in, you know. They had uh, they had a screenplay <clears throat> that that's you know that's going to be Will and Jane's film, mm-hmm. but they saw it as having potential for a much wider you know history and universe of the human race, and they brought us in to do a lot of groundwork on it and fill it out. And we wound up writing a Bible that was about three hundred pages long. Oh God. That, that details every single aspect of the After Earth universe. 
And that is that is a tremendously exciting endeavor. Uh, there's going to be a prequel novel that the three of us are, are writing, and there's also going to be a series of um, of digital novellas that oh, nice. uh, all this being done with Random House. Um, so this is this is all tremendously exciting, and uh, we've we've been working with Will, and uh, and with Kayla Pinkett, who's uh, his, his his brother-in-law and also one of the producers on the thing. And it's just been a, it's just been a tremendous, tremendous opportunity and learning experience. And it's also one of the great moments with my daughters. I was alluding to before. I was out at Will's house working on on film stuff, and he went to take a break, and Caleb went to take a break, and I did an i and I was doing an eye chat with my daughter uh, on my computer, and my daughter Ariel, who was who just started college at the time. And Will comes walking over and looks at me oddly because I'm sitting there talking to my computer. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm talking to my daughter, Ariel. Would you like to say hi? And he says, sure. And she didn't know where I was or who I was working with. So she's sitting there at college with her friend. And all of a sudden, one of the most famous faces on the planet sticks his face, <laughs> and, sticks his face in, and says, would you like to say hi to Ariel? And, says, and he sticks his head and he says, hi, Ariel, how are you doing? Ariel's jaw is somewhere around her knees. Her friend just proceeds to stroke out completely. <laughs> and, and I was going, hoo, hoo, hoo. and Will's going, so hi, how you doing? I hear you started college. Is it going well? And Ariel's going, hoo, hoo. and her friend is just somewhere on the floor going, that was entertaining value. That, that is awesome. Yeah, well, Peter... and, and James is a great kid and a hell of an actor, and I think that, that uh, these films and this entire book series that we're doing is going to be tremendously exciting. And, and the last thing I will mention is that we are embarking on a, on a five-issue storyline um, in uh, X-Factor that's going to be mm. uh, running from issue 241 to 240, 245. Um, that charts five days over the uh, life of X Factor. That's going to seriously shake up the team, and um, and and cause major changes for everything that's going on. So uh, I really, you know, strongly suggest that uh, people check that out. If you have not been reading X Factor up until now, you know, then what the hell is wrong with you? But, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're looking at this as a good jumping-on place and giving people an opportunity to. Uh, to, to get involved in our own little kind of like mini mini adventure mini uh, uh, it's not crossover but uh, mini event you know and gotcha. uh, we're, we're really excited about it um, and uh, we're certainly hoping that uh, people will give it a chance and uh, and take a look and see what we have to offer and the entire the entire five issue arc is called breaking points. So, you know, we hope that people will be checking out Breaking Points over the next few months. Perfect. Well, Peter, thank you so much again for joining us. Like I said, we are more than happy to have you back because I still haven't even talked to you about all the Q stuff you've written. Okay, and that's, well, every time you want to do it, just give, me, just give me a little advance notice and I'll be happy to do it. That would be great because you've written some of the best Q, Q stories out there. So I, I'm Oh, just thank you very excited. much. And um, thank you again for joining us. And um, everybody, check out the head cases and all of the Stanley um, uh, network people that are going to be on it Thursday uh, at Comic Con, I believe at eleven forty-five. 
Oh, yeah, and one other thing I'll be doing at Comic-Con, that I'll, be, I'll be doing the Marvel panel, and I will also be, um, on Sunday, I'll be doing a panel about uh, Epic Mickey 2. Uh, oh, nice. Out, coming out from Disney. I'll be on it, and Warren Spector will be on it, and Marv Wolfman will be on it, and uh, everyone should come and check that out. If you want to find out my whole schedule, you can come to my website at www.peterdavid.net, and you can also follow me on Twitter. Hooray! <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you again, Peter, for joining us. We loved having you on. Glad I could make it. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, then. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it, everybody. Peter David, thank you for listening to this a little bit longer than normal uh, episode of Fangirl Radio. He was amazing. I couldn't help it. I lo- I could hear that, listen to that man talk forever. Um, and yay, fanfic. Write it if you want to put it out there and let the masses read it because you never know it might you might turn into Peter David. Um, so with that being said, um, I am going to be at Comic Con this week and I will uh, be back with hopefully good stories. I hope I survive it. Will and you be twittering for us, I will be tweeting, I will be facebooking, and I will be fangirling a lot. So <laughs> with that being said, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. As always, a pleasure. And we will see you next time on Fangirl Radio. 